So to recap, I don't know how many of you were here the last time that Alan preached, but he chatted on a series or started a theme on the fear of the Lord, which ultimately leads to holiness. Now Alan's sermon was based on the readings from Proverbs 1 verse 1 to 7, and he put forward that we are to fear, revere, honor, and highly esteem the Lord. The book of Proverbs is riddled with wise sayings where King Solomon wanted his routine of life to become a daily habit of growing in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Taking Solomon's advice, I would say, is a wise thing to do, since he was the wisest person to ever live. God asked Solomon what he wanted and replied, and Solomon replied, Give me the wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Alan also mentioned the consequences of sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they sinned and would taste death, just as much as each and every one of us would. We simply cannot enter into fellowship with God if we are still, losing, still choosing to carry on in sin and to live in sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, which is Hebrews 9.27. How do we come into fellowship with God? Well, the only way is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is that redemption, sacrifice, and propitiation, or in other words, atonement for the sin of mankind. So let's continue the series on fearing the Lord, as I've just caught you up to speed and leading us to holiness. And as you can see in the notices or the intimations, um, we'll be working through a passage out of the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians 2, verse 5 to 13. Otherwise, you can just take notes on the paper. And if you're not taking notes, make sure your ears are, ears are open. So the passage is labeled in the New King James Version, The Humbled and Exalted Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to do will, Sorry, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Praise the Lord for his word. So I'm going to give you a quick background to the book of Philippians, just so that I can uh, paint a picture for you as to who wrote the book, where and when it was written, um, and why it was written. Who wrote the book? I'm sure most of us know that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. 
Where and when? He wrote a book from prison. He was in Rome towards the end of his life and ministry, which dated to about 60 and 62 AD. Now, most scholars pin it down to 61 AD. Nonetheless, it's in between those two dates. And this could also be known as the prison epistles of Paul. The city of Philippi, which obviously is where the Philippians lived, was named after Alexander the Great's father, who was Philip II of Macedon. This was also the first church plant in Europe, in northern Greece, which I think is quite an amazing amazing feat. I think if Paul didn't listen to the Holy Spirit, he might have gone eastward towards Asia, and they would be preaching the gospel to us today, and not vice versa. Why it was written, obviously the passage goes around rejoicing and be joyous, but it was written for our relationship to grow in the Father and to know who Jesus Christ is exactly. This passage that we just read explains beautifully from beginning to end who Jesus is. And just a little fun fact, in Acts 16, um, there's a lady by the name of Lydia. She was the seller of what they call purple, and she was the first known Christian convert in Philippi to Christianity. So praise the Lord for Lydia. A theologian in the late 1800s and early 1900s by the name of H. A. A. Kennedy beautifully sums up the internal evidence of the book of Philippians. He says, Perhaps no Pauline epistle bears more conclusively the stamp of authenticity. There is an artlessness, a delicacy of feeling, a frank outpouring of the heart which could not be simulated. So today's message is, is labeled humbled and exalted to God be the glory. Let's go back to the beginning of the text. Philippians 2 verse 5. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now if we look at it, we would like to know what that exactly means. Let this mind be in you. But if we go to Philippians 2 verse 1 to 4, just before that in our Bibles, or just in your memories, you can go back at home and check it out. Philippians 2 verse 1 to 4 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So that pretty much paints, paints the picture for us on the mind of Christ. This verse starts with a powerful prompting of action, of attitude, and Christ-like disposition. Paul says the mind we ought to have in us is to be the same mind that Jesus Christ had. According to this verse, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit who works in us and through us generous, generously gives us that mind of Christ. We can't force it. There is no way we can't do anything except for let and let go. The process after being born again is a sanctification process whereby the Holy Spirit works to make us more and more like Jesus, both in character and in ministry. If you remember the story of Nicodemus, Nicodemus in John 3 was chatting to Jesus and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus completely sidewalled him by answering it in a complete different way, I think, to what he expected, and said, Most assuredly I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, obviously our first birth, and that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit, second birth. That means born again. And Jesus finished by saying, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So the mind of Christ was characterized in his behavior and his attitude. These three points out of this first section is the mind was a, a selfless mind, a sacrificial mind, and a serving mind. To have all these mind attitudes, we have to understand the text. Now I know Poppy's not here, but the Greek word for the word mind is phroneo. I'm not Greek by the way, but that's, that actually rolled quite nicely. And this word alone is used 37 times in 21 verses of the New Testament of the original King James Version translation. Remember the word phroneo. Phroneo is a present tense, passive voice, and imperative mood word. It means to exercise the mind, to interest oneself with obedience, and also to be like-minded or as of the same mind. To have the same disposition and attitude as Jesus. The word explains beautifully what we ought to have. The mind of Christ. Matthew 16.23 says, Well, Jesus was talking to Peter and Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So Peter was obviously didn't want Jesus to go to the cross because he understood it from a human perspective. Whereas Jesus said, have the mind of me which is focusing on God the Father. And His will is to do the Father's will. Romans 15 verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Again, the scripture calls us to have the mind of Christ toward each other, namely patience and comfort, as two of the examples there. As we look back, Jesus had the selfless, sacrificial and serving mind. Let us strive to be like Christ Jesus, the epitome of Christian example. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, in the first section of that verse it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No one knows the mind of God, and no one can instruct him on what to do. I'm sure we have all tried. We've all tried many times, but I know that we have fallen dismally short. I can vouch for that as well. Trying to get God to fit into our plans simply will not work at all. If we look at the Lord and ask Him in all that we do and all that we are to do, and if we trust Him with all that we are, we can then have Jesus' mind available to us. Now you may be asking, how do we have Jesus' mind available to us? Well, firstly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, through the Bible. Isn't that exciting? All we have to do is get to know Jesus more, honor Him, and give our lives to Him. I'm not sure, I've got a little story for you, but there's, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but there's a little guy in America by the name of Marky. Now, Marky was born without the collagen and genetic makeup that connects and binds his skin. And so instead of having seven layers like we all do, he only has one layer of skin. This layer of skin they call the butterfly skin. And the reason why is because, is because it is as fragile as a butterfly's wing. Any friction 
any rubbing causes the skin to come off. Marky sometimes cannot move for days at a time. But what does Marky do? He puts on the mind and disposition of Christ, glorifying God in everything that he does, and he attributes the breath of God in our lungs to the Father, if that makes sense, yes. So what, what he does is he glorifies the Father in everything that he does. He always wants to know Jesus and be with Jesus. Before he goes for operations, he asks the doctors to sterilize his phone so that he can listen to worship music while he's in, in the theater. So this is a beautiful example of putting on the mind of Christ. Verse 6, verse six says to us, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now what does it mean to be in the form of God? This means that Jesus always existed for all of eternity and is God. He did not merely resemble God, but in the truest sense he is God. The verse continues to tell us, and I've used the New Living Translation to give us a little bit more clarity, that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now why we ask? Jesus had nothing to gain or obtain because everything is already possessed by him. Jesus was, is and will forever be God in totality. Colossians 2 verse 8 to 9 Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We should be careful and take note of what streams of media, what sermons we listen to, and whose opinions we are listening to. If anyone is out there preaching and teaching that Jesus was never eternal and that he is not God, be very careful. If Jesus was not the Son of God, he simply could not be that sacrifice for us on the cross of Calvary. A.W. Tozer says, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God. Nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. S.D. Gordon, another gentleman, says Jesus was God, spelling himself out in language humanity could understand. Praise the Lord for, for our Savior Jesus. Verse 7, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now what does it mean to, be, to make yourself of no reputation? It means that Jesus emptied himself of all his privileges. Now don't be mistaken, the Lord Jesus was not stripped of his deity. Some say that when Jesus was on earth, he had no longer the all knowledge, the all power, and the ability to be in more than one place at a time. Some even say that Jesus was liable to error and could be influenced by the mystic thoughts of those days. Me standing here now, I flat out and utterly deny that. When Jesus came to earth, he remained omniscient, which is all-knowing. He remained omnipotent, which is all-powerful. And he remained omnipresent, meaning he was everywhere at the same time. John 1.48 I don't know if you remember the story of Nathaniel. Nathaniel is walking towards Jesus and asks him a question. And Jesus replies, and he, says, he asks Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus is God and cannot lose his deity. What he did do is empty himself of his positional equality with God to veil the glory of deity in human flesh. He threw aside his most divine array and hid his Godhead in a veil of clay. 
And in that garb did wondrous love display, restoring what he never took away. The transfiguration on the mount is another prime example of the revelation of the deity of Jesus Christ. The verse then carries on explaining that Jesus had to become flesh, which is in the likeness of men, taking the form of a bondservant, which is Jesus coming in humility to be the servant and as a matter of fact, the suffering servant. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Jesus came not to, ser- not to be served, sorry, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Only God could empty himself and become man, no one else. We might not be able to comprehend this, but as I've always said, what would be the point of worshipping a God who I can fully comprehend? He is amazing and awesome, and what a God we serve. Verse 8 continues to say, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In verse 8 we see a continuation of verse 7 in that Jesus humbled himself, was in appearance of man, fully human in the flesh, and went to the lowest of lows. He stooped down to uncomprehendable depths to save our souls. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Jesus was obedient to the Father in taking his mission right to the end, being crucified, humiliated, shamed, mocked and scorched. We should pray every day that the Lord Jesus grants us that like-minded obedience. Jesus was exactly like the parable of the pearl of great price in Matthew 13, verse 45 to 46. It says, Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That is, the obedience and servanthood to the point of death on a cross. Philippians 2, verse 9, a continuing our text, says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. In verse 9 we see a change where Paul starts describing what God has done. God exalted Jesus by giving him the name which is above all names. That is the highest place in the universe and a position of ultimate supremacy. The Greek word for exalted, here's another Greek one, is hyparupso, which means to be highly exalted beyond measure, to elevate above all others and to raise to the highest position. This word in Greek is only used once in the King James translation, which proves to us the importance of this word in that context of Jesus' exaltation. God exalted Jesus by opening the heavens to receive him back to his own right hand. Psalm 16.10 says to us, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Verse 10, then at the same, sorry, then at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. The reason why every knee will bow to Jesus Christ is because God deemed the redemptive work of Christ complete. The text tells us that all, not some, but all will bow to Jesus. Beings in earth, beings in heaven, and beings under the earth. No one is escaping this. This text also does not say, that all beings are saved. You, as we are right here in this fulfillment of this text, have to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and He has to reign over your life. If you do not willingly bow the knee to Jesus now, you will do so in the day of judgment. 
This is a prophetic statement. In Revelations 5:11 to 13, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. All of us here and that have passed away every breathing being will bow the, king, bow the knee to King Jesus. Romans 14 verse 10 to 11 says So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, As I surely live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Verse 11, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Each one of us will acknowledge again this time with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, not only on our knees, but with our mouths too. We will honor Him with universal homage and acknowledgement of his lordship whether you are a believer or not how many of us have thought oh tomorrow tomorrow I'll do something about Jesus or yeah a couple of weeks I've first got a few things to do I will put my hand up first and say I've been guilty of that but we have to make that decision 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If the Lord is speaking to you today, remember who the King is. We are not kings. The only King is King Jesus. There is only one King. We can all be brave now in the day of fun, but wait until the day when we have to confess the Son. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is where we come to the, to the core of this, of this scripture and this, of this message today. Paul now comes to the conclusion of this exhortation to the Philippians. Paul wants them and us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should be very clear here and remember that Paul is not teaching that salvation is earned by works but simply by putting faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledging that He is Lord. The salvation spoken of in this context is not that of the soul, but rather the everyday hindrances that prevent us from doing the will of God. We are also to live our lives by practical holiness, exercising the eternity placed in our hearts by God the Father. Hebrews 7.25 And I've done another New Living Translation translation for us, just to get a little bit of context. Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. In another way it can be said to be is the present entire experience of deliverance from evil. This can only be done in one way and that is through seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. This whole chapter is so theologically sound in telling us exactly who Jesus Christ is. If anything is contending with your faith, Sit down, reflect, repent, turn to Jesus with your whole being and praise Jesus and remember to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't always point to the neighbor and say, Ooh, you know, Auntie Liz and, or Auntie Betty or someone like that does not have 
salvation or does not know Jesus, but rather us working out our salvation with fear and trembling, makes us that example in an utterly dark world. Verse 13 tells us that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. The New Living Translation again translates it in this way, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God puts the desire in us to please Him and to do His will in the first place. He also gives you the power to carry out that desire. We must bring our part in this relationship. For example, you're not married and you have not spoken to your wife or husband at all, ever. Or you have not a daughter or a son or a friend that you have never spoken to. It's all about relationship. And that's what Jesus Christ wants from us. Remember that the path to holiness is obedience, fear, reverence, honor, and to highly esteem the Lord our God, as He is almighty and sovereign. Before we close, there are three things I would love for you to take away today. The first thing takes us back to Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Remember to have that mind is the word phroneo that looks to God. It means to exercise the mind, to interest oneself with obedience and also to be like-minded at the same time. The word explains beautifully what we ought to have, the mind and disposition of Christ. There is a sacrificial, selfless and serving mind always but always looking to the Father. A gent by the name of Craig Lonsborough once said, The most formidable way to lead is to serve. And while the perplexing oxymoron of such a grinding statement absolutely cripples us, it birthed a Savior. Secondly, remember that Jesus left everything in heaven so that you and I can be saved. He died on a cross, the most horrible of deaths, usually set out only for murderers. But Jesus did that for you and I, a humble, suffering servant. And the last thing I'd like you to take from this is that, in the light of the fact of what Jesus did for you and I, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Romans 6 verse 1, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Folks, God is gracious, but this passage in Philippians 2 highlights to us what Jesus did for us, and we should never ever take that for granted. When Jesus commenced his ministry in Galilee, he began to preach. The first things he said was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. To repent means to turn away, to turn from your old ways, your old sinful ways, and to turn towards Jesus Christ. Earlier we spoke about being born again too. This all ties up with the first point, and that is to have the mind and disposition of Christ. Spend the time with the Lord Jesus. Read his word. Pray. Ask God to forgive you and give you his Holy Spirit. And thank Him for every single thing that you have. Continue to boast to others about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The King of Kings is coming. Be ready, be holy, serve and glorify His name from the mountaintops. Father God, we just thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, Your Word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We thank You for the redemptive work on the cross, Lord Jesus. Help us be like Christ in our minds, in our actions, and in all the attributes and characteristics you have graciously given us. You are God, yet came as a bondservant, in flesh, in likeness of man. Your obedience to Calvary has no words, Lord Jesus, and we remember as we work through this passage that everyone will bow their knees and everyone will confess with their mouths that you are Lord. 
Help us to be obedient to your calling, Father God, that we exercise faith in your plan for us, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us produce good fruit in keeping with repentance. O Lord, you are amazing and we love you. Humbled and exalted, to God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.